today. And Lord Jesus, I just pray as we just uh, come before you, Lord, I, I pray that you would just breathe and speak into all our hearts and lives. And Lord, we can just align ourselves uh, closely to your purpose, your way, and Father, that you would work your will through our lives to the glory of your name. Lord Jesus, we pray that you be glorified, be given first place, and we thank you and honor you. Your wonderful name. Amen. Okay, now the guys hopefully will get something even on the screen if we're doing well. So um, we'll see how we go. But uh, now we uh, earlier uh, there over December and uh, January uh, looked at this whole thing of touching heaven, changing earth. And with that, uh, primarily um, uh, I looked at uh, each of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And we looked at this from Matthew chapter 6, and just so we could position ourselves right for prayer. Now we go up a, a gear again, and, uh, and today I'm going to talk about everyone's favorite subject, which is fasting. And uh, I want to uh, just zero in on this. And uh, as Denise mentioned, uh, for the next 21 days, starting tomorrow, uh, many of us in this church are actually uh, having a season of fasting and prayer. I'll explain that there shortly, uh, just how we go about that. And um, uh, But uh, we've done this the last couple of years, and it's been actually... Um, uh, at least in my life, extremely positive season. I uh, get this side of it, I'm always reluctant. I get out the other side, I'm very happy. Uh, but anyway, that's how it usually works. So uh, here we go. So we've got the screen, so I, I'm going to launch off of, of this. So the first thing I want to say is this. Every major religion in the world has an emphasis on fasting. Now, if you go, uh, of course, to the, uh, the Jewish world, uh, they actually have one day of the year by compulsion. All Jews uh, are meant to fast. And that is called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And uh, all Jews uh, fast on that day, the Day of Atonement. And then at other times in the seasons, uh, for uh, if the nation's in trouble or or you know times of repentance, there was also calls for for fasting. Now we go to the world of Hinduism, and uh, if you spend time in the Hindu world, you will actually see mendicants or you'll see holy men who are devoted to this cause within Hinduism. Uh, particularly under ascetic asceticism. And, uh, and then many of the people also dedicate them this way, that by their sacrifice and devotion, they will be heard by their gods, particularly in Hinduism, under bhakti Hinduism. That's very important for them. Uh, Buddhism has less of an emphasis, but they still do fast, uh, mainly because Buddha uh, spoke of his middle way uh, and, and actually turned against asceticism. Uh, but Buddhists still do this, and if you Google uh, Buddhism and fasting, you'll get plenty of information that will come up about this. But it's basically practice for self-control and for moderating desire, of course, the big issue within Buddhism. And of course, Islam, all Muslims uh, fast during the month of Ramadan. And in that month, uh, Muslims are not allowed to eat from sunrise to sunset, and it's to commemorate the giving of the Quran to Muhammad. 
and uh, becomes one of the five pillars of Islam. And in that month of Ramadan is there's one night right near the end. I think it's the 26th day of Ramadan. It's called the Night of Power. And for Muslims on that one night, uh, that is the Night of Power when Allah will hear your prayer and bring answers. Now, the reason I raise this right at the start is the bottom line is religion is drawn toward fasting. But we're Christian. Uh, and with that, uh, why then will we talk about fasting? Now, I just want to uh, say this. When I was a young Christian, I got saved in the charismatic renewal. And actually, a few of you can see I got a little bit burnt. I went fishing on Friday. I got a call and went out fishing with, uh, with Damien. And we got into the Spanish mackerel, and I got cooked like a chip. <laughs> I forgot to put any sunscreen on. Slip, slop, slap. Mate, I just got belted by the time I got back in. Anyways, that's why I'm looking a bit red. Um, anyway, uh, not that you're interested. But, um, and so, but I want to say this. When I first became a young believer, I got saved in the charismatic renewal. And if anyone remembers the charismatic renewal of the 1970s, uh, uh, I came to Christ in that period of time. Actually, the first church service I ever went to was a whole bunch of spirit-filled m- nuns uh, from the Catholic Church. And, uh, but anyway, that's how I ended Christianity. And, and shortly after being a new believer, I heard of fasting. And uh, I remember hearing about it. And, uh, and to me, this was with my young ears and, and uh, ignorance, uh, fasting was uh, those who do real serious business with God, they fast. At least that was in my thinking. And so what happens if you wanted great spiritual breakthrough or you were on a quest for major spiritual connection with God, what happened? You fasted. And uh, my thinking was if you get enough fasting points, well, God is just going to answer you. There's a, there's a bit of a folly to that. Is because there's no amount of works that Christian can do to get God to do anything, uh, if we really look at it this way. And so, uh, anyway, I, I'd, I'd, at least this was my understanding. So there came the great day when I thought I would fast. And so I, I tried this discipline that I'd heard people speak about. And, uh, and I don't know about any attempts some of you made, but I sure knew my early attempts is um, I began to fast and I didn't feel one bit more spiritual. Matter of fact, I think I felt a whole lot more carnal. Because I just got very, very hungry. And I felt very, very carnal because uh, uh, that was how I felt. I didn't feel spiritually enlightened at all. <laughs> because I, my mind was just, I, I felt completely empty. And I mean literally. And, and so that's how I felt. And, and, you know, and then there was these moments when I compromised. And I felt guilt-ridden when I messed up. Now, of course, that's not you. You're not as spiritual as all of you. But that was my early journey. And so uh, with this, uh, my serious business of heaven, I realized I was not the spiritual elite. (laughs) I just wasn't there. And, uh, you know, this must be for the spiritually elite. It wasn't me. And so my whole journey in this came to a few crashes and thuds early in the game. And so there came the point, why fast at all? Now, I've even heard Christian teachers uh, say we're saved by grace. We're not saved by works. 
And so they have no emphasis at all in this area and perceive it as a work. And honestly, if that's how you perceive it, well, uh, I'd say don't fast. Now, what they've done with this, they've actually uh, uh, referred to that Jesus had very little emphasis on fasting. And so we even have, for example, in Matthew 9.14, and some Christians will quote this, and uh, then the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, and they said this, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, Jesus' disciples were on easy street. Uh, they were real happy spending time with Jesus, and, um, and they didn't fast at all. Now, of course, Jesus didn't have this emphasis on fasting per se. Uh, and, but what happens is most of the Christian grace teachers that quote this, uh, they forget the next verse. And this is what Jesus said. Uh, Matthew 9.15, Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will what? They will fast. Now, it doesn't say they might fast. Actual fact, this verse we read today, uh, Matthew 6.16, And when you fast, it doesn't say if you fast. Okay, it's just... Jesus is giving this teaching here, is when you fast. So if we're going to fast, we better understand what we're doing. (laughs) A little bit better than what I did all those years ago. So with this here, the inference is that Jesus' disciples will fast. Now, we uh, began our series on Touching Heaven, Changing Earth, which is the part one we've completed, which was on prayer. Now, today... Uh, just to give the context back there, the Sermon on the Mount works this way. It deals with the staircase into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew's gospel is written to Jewish people. And so as such, you always read it through Jewish glasses. And it's arranged that way for a Jewish audience. So it presents the way into the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 1 to 12. Then it talks about the influence of the kingdom of heaven. You are light, you are salt, etc., etc., uh, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. And then it begins to talk about the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. Now, this uh, runs through chapter 5. And then this fourth section of the Sermon on the Mount, it deals with the devotion of the kingdom in heaven. And Jesus picks three Jewish things that the Jews all practiced a part of what they believed was practicing righteousness. And that dealt with the giving of alms or the giving to the poor uh, in Matthew 6, 1 to 4. The issue of prayer, which we have looked at in our first series, uh, Matthew 6, 5 to 13, or actually 15. And then now we come to fasting. Now, I want you to notice the connection of his teaching of prayer and fasting. The two are connected. Now, so Jesus now moves on and begins to talk about this uh, aspect that all Jews did, uh, which was the issue of fasting and how one is to orientate physically towards a time of prayer. Now, Matthew 6.1, Jesus actually says, The great danger in all devotion, outward devotion, is the danger of hypocrisy. 
Now, he begins there in chapter 6, 1. He goes, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, the issue is alms, prayer, and fasting all have a reward. It's obvious there is a reward as long as this is approached the right way. If it's approached in a wrong way, the reward is robbed and it is stolen. And this is what Jesus is wanting to correct here. He's wanting to correct um, this problem that we have where the outward overrides the inward devotion. And this is a great danger that we all have, and this is the danger of a subject like today with fasting, is the outward can override the inward. And we need to address that in what Jesus is correcting here. Now, the two key words that run right through this section of Matthew is the word hypocrite or hypocrites uh, in the Greek, and it's mentioned three times, verse 2, 5, and 16, in connection with alms, the giving of alms, with prayer, and with fasting. And that word, of course, refers to a masked Greek performer in the theatre. In actual fact, the word seen in the Greek language, theomai, is where we draw our English word theatre. And Jesus said, beware of when people practice theatre. In other words, they are hypocrites. They're like masked performers in an outward play. Now, the other key word uh, mentioned six times is the word hidden or kryptos or kryptos uh, in the Greek language. And it's mentioned there as 4, 6, and 18 in the context of all three disciplines. And in other words, the emphasis should be on the secret or the connection to the inner room that we looked at in the last series. Now, today, all of these words have a very strong connection to Jesus's uh, teaching on fasting. And what Jesus does in each of the sections, he mentions the negative first, and then he presents the positive. Is that okay? So I'm going to present the negative first, and then I'm going to present the positive. So let's look at fasting negatively. And this, of course, was the world uh, of Jesus' day had led to hypocrisy. There was great emphasis on uh, fasting, but the issue was for the spiritual elite. That's where the issue was. If you're a Pharisee, for example, you fasted. Now, with this here, uh, Jesus most likely has in his mind and thinking the greatest chapter on fasting in the Bible, which is Isaiah 58, uh, is because it is arranged exactly how Jesus presents the short teaching on fasting here. Uh, it presents the negative, and then it presents the positive. Now, I want to read Isaiah 58 as it dealt with the nation of Israel when they were fasting in hypocrisy. And Jesus most likely has these words in his mind. Now, Isaiah 58, verses there are 3 to 5, and I'll read from the New Living Translation so we all catch the feel of it. We have fasted before you, the nation of Israel say. Why aren't you impressed, God? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. God says, I will tell you why. I respond. It's because you are fasting to please who? Yourselves. That's what you're doing. You're fasting to please yourselves. 
Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You dress in burlap, cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? So it presents a very negative position uh, about fasting. Now, the whole nation was fasting, yet their combined effort totally failed because they were focusing on the outward while over, allowing that to override the inward motive or devotion. Now, with this, they totally missed it. Now, the word fast in the Hebrew language uh, is, a, is a Hebrew word, sum, and this word actually means, the root of it means self-denial. So if I use the word fast in the Old Testament, you know, in the Jewish people, it meant I am uh, positioning myself to a position of self-denial. So if I'm fasting for myself, can you see the hypocrisy of that? I'm doing the opposite of what the word actually says. And so fast is a word that means self-denial, the opposite of self-introspection or the concentration on self, completely opposite. Now, what happens there, this raises a number of issues, uh, particularly for us in the Christian faith. Now, Paul actually, when he's teaching on the physical and the spiritual, particularly as he's talking about uh, being born again and the resurrection of the body, uh, uses these words in 1 Corinthians 15, 46. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body. Now, what he's saying is there's a connection between the spiritual world and the physical. Now, in Christianity, there is no division between sacred and secular. Everything is sacred before God. The way you work, the way you play, the way you surf, the way you fish, uh, the way you do house, all is spiritual to God, but all, in a way, is physical as well. Now, this means that every issue where we have as a touch point spiritually in the kingdom of God, has a physical connection. That's the way Christianity works. Now, evangelical Christianity, unfortunately, has not emphasized this. Uh, the Catholics have always had an emphasis here, but uh, evangelical world, because of their emphasis of salvation by faith, has actually, uh, uh, in a way, ignored this principle that there is a connection between the spiritual and the physical. So what happens when a believer comes to faith? Now, we know people come forward and pray or, or ask Jesus into the heart, but for true Christianity, or New Testament Christianity is probably the better term, is all Christians proclaimed their newfound faith by being baptized. And what happens is they went down into the water, which we did there a weekend ago. And people went in and they went down and they identified with the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And they did a physical action to declare what has happened spiritually. Now, if people got baptized because they just want to, you know, join in with the church, they didn't get baptized. It's because that action is a actual a mark physically of an inward action that has already occurred. That person has come to faith in Christ. Everyone follow what I've said. So baptism is a physical response to what really happened inwardly, spiritually. Now, this also is true of communion. Now, because of time and the baby dedication, we did not have communion today. 
Uh, but communion is where we take the bread, we take the cup, and what we do with that physical action, that physical action connects us to the great spiritual principle that the cross of Jesus Christ is the center of Christianity, the covenant, the new covenant. And we are never, ever to forget that. And so as often as you meet, Jesus said, uh, do this. But it's physical, but connects to the spiritual. Now, when we lay on hands, which uh, we did a series there called Elementary and Billy Nudgel, and that is a physical action to actually infer that right at that moment we're believing that God is touching that person inwardly. Now, we lay hands for the impartation of the Holy Spirit and also that people will be touched with the healing power of God. Now, when we do that, it is a physical action. But what we're doing, we're doing a declaration that what is really happening is the real spiritual issue is what is really happening. So the physical action is an outward symbol of what is happening internally within the person. Now, when we come to anointing with oil, for example, are any of you sick? The book of James says, James chapter 5, then if anyone is sick, come and ask the elders and they will anoint you with oil and the prayer over the sick, the person will recover. Um, uh, now, what happens, anointing or oil is an outward action, but it's only an action that is actually symbolizing the real anointing, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit. That oil does nothing. But it's a, this physical connection to what is happening really spiritually on the inside. Everyone got the connection? The whole of Christianity works this way. And it works where there is not this great divide between the physical and the spiritual. In fact, everything in Christianity is this connection to the physical. And the physical is the outward expression of what's really happening on the inside. Now, we've got to understand that with fasting. Because with fasting, fasting is aligning my life physically to what is really happening on the inward man. And in the inward man, when I am self-denying and coming before God in helplessness in prayer, I'm aligning myself physically to what is really happening spiritually on the inside. Everyone follow what I just said. See, fasting will not merit you any credit with God at all. It's not a work. You can fast from here to the next three months, and you think you can make God move, you will not make God move at all if it's an outward work or action. Is fasting is only aligning my physical life to what is really positioned already spiritually. Everyone follow what I've said. That's extremely important because fasting is not a, a work. It's not something that you can earn brownie points. And can I say this? In Christianity, it took me a while to work it out, but there are no spiritual elite. I, I realized when I finally got a little bit more cheer on the Lord, the ones who I thought were the spiritual elite, there is no such thing. Now, we've got to get that real clear as well. Is because you can admire people spiritually. Say David, who's going to be here next week with his ability. Now, it's a great gift of prophetic mantle in his life. But can I just say that? He's just a man like you or I, saved by grace alone. And he has a gift in a certain area. But you must understand, in Christianity, there is nothing such as a spiritual elite. So do not get in your head that if you're going to fast, somehow you join the spiritual elite. When you get there, you'll find there is no such thing. 
Okay, took me a while to work that out. Uh, you're a little more, more mature and wiser than me, uh, but I was a little slow on the uptake on these issues. So this is why Jesus says these words. Is You see, religion always gets f- things like this wrongly. D.A. Carson, he said this, almost anything that is supposed to serve as an outward sign of an inward attitude can be cheapened into hypocrisy. So Christianity is vulnerable is because all its key connections are connected to what outward signs or symbols, baptism, laying in the hands, anointing with oil, is that all these connections and it, anything that has an outward sign can be cheapened into hypocrisy. So Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 16, and when you fast, not if, it's just when, do not look gloomy, uh, like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that they may be seen as fasting by others. Now, sadly, the Pharisees, their position was a fasting. They fasted on Mondays and on Thursdays. And so uh, Luke eighteen twelve, when the Pharisees stood there in Jesus' story, as he presented himself with the publican in the temple, he actually was quite confident about his little life. He said, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I get. <laughs> He's better than most Christians right there. But he fasts twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Now, Jesus says, he says, don't put on a gloomy face. The word actually is the exact same word, uh, skuthropos, uh, which is sad or looking very sad, are those two that were on the Maus Road. So when you fast, the Pharisees love to look gloomy. They wanted everyone to know that they were fasting. They are the spiritual elite. They are the heavyweights. They're doing real business with God. Now, what happens? They put on a gloomy face. Now, they fast to be seen. They fast to demonstrate their spiritual pedigree. And they fast because by fasting, God is going to hear them. Everyone got the picture? Now, Jesus says, friends, that is not fasting. Uh, they disfigure their faces. Aphonizo, the Greek word, means to make unrecognizable. It means <laughs> you got a bad day and you're showing it and writing it on your sleeve for everyone to see. And that's the picture. And they're making themselves look n- nothing. They didn't put makeup on the morning. Is um, They just disfigured. Uh, a little bit like I'm feeling today after my fishing trip. <laughs> Okay. Now, in other words, as as you know, as they devote uh, themselves to fasting, they're devoting them what themselves. Their fasting is revolved around who them. Now, the very root of the meaning of fasting soon is I deny self. So, if I'm fasting to God, the last person on my agenda is who. Me. So I think you can see why Jesus is addressing this issue. In contrast, in, for example, Psalm 35, 13, uh, David, but as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. It was a Jewish expression, outward sign of mourning. And then he says, I humbled myself with what? Fasting. So fasting and humility not asceticism that tries to present myself as humble to you, 
but it's my true humility before God. True humility sees yourself exactly as you are, not above yourself, not below yourself before God, just being exactly, truthfully what you are. Now, I knew what I was truthfully what I was after my early attempts of fasting. I was not spiritually elite at all. Matter of fact, I didn't feel very spiritual at all. Is, is it okay? Everyone got, got it? So if you didn't feel very spiritual fasting, relax. You're in good company. I'm the president of the club. Is that okay? Everyone got that? Okay. Now, with this here, this then leads us here to Matthew 6.16. At the end of the verse, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Their reward is they want to be noticed, and noticed they become. But it's the very opposite to the very heart of what fasting or sum is actually really about. And so they get men's attention, and Jesus said, congratulations, they have got what they wanted. Okay. Now, tragically, it just became empty externalism, and they achieved no reward at all. In fact, they became like the actors are uh, hypocrites in a Greek drama. They won the applause of the crowd, and that's all they got. Okay. Now, this leads us now to fasting positively. And so um, uh, we better understand then why do we fast? So Jesus says, when you fast, in other words, not if, uh, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now there is a reward that comes from fasting. Now, the early church so understood this of Jesus that it affected their very world. Now, in the book of Acts, okay, uh, when you read that early history of the church, there are several places where we see the church corporately praying together with fasting. I want to bring your attention to two uh, prominent ones in the book of Acts. The very first missionary journey that they ever Uh, embarked upon the church of Antioch. And it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and what? Fasting. Is the Holy Spirit said, now fasting will position you to hear God's voice. It will do that. Now it will position you that you actually can hear the voice of God. And so here it says, the Holy Spirit set apart Uh, Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And so they send that missionary journey out, and the fruit of it is you and I. Okay, eventually, that's the fruit that came. Now, uh, they prayed also for the appointment of elders once they'd been on that missionary journey, Acts 14.23, when they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and what? Fasting. So in this case, they are actually seeking something. They are praying. They're not just giving glory to God and worshipping. They are actually praying and they are fasting for right decisions. And they committed them to the Lord whom they had believed. In fact, the early church, uh, we know, so embraced this that they saw fasting and prayer in a way as inseparable. Now, I know that because... Uh, those of you who have a King James Bible or a New King James Bible, those Bible are based on the 9th century manuscripts, 
okay, of the, of the church, the Greek manuscripts. If you've got an NIV or an ESV or an NASB or whatever, they're based on what is called Alexandrian text, 4th century manuscripts. So what happens in the what they call the received text or the majority text, which came far later, uh, we have many of those manuscripts, but we find that there are little additions added into the text. Now, those additions are not wrong. In fact, they're very good and right, but they weren't in the original manuscript as it was written. So what happens, you'll notice when you read, particularly a King James Bible, New King James, several places in those translations, which are based on those later Greek manuscripts, they'll add this concept of fasting, or your Bible, if you've got an NIV, ESV, or an NSB, will put it as a, a footnote, and it will indicate to you, and I'll say this little comment, this is not in the oldest manuscripts. Now, the reason for this is because we know these statements came into the manuscripts in the second century, somewhere in the middle of the second century. So it didn't come from the apostles, it came from the early church. Now, some people don't like that. They sort of want to drop it all out together. But in fact, it gives a great indicator of how the early church thought and how they responded. So here, when Jesus encountered a situation with a demonized boy, it adds in the received text of the later Greek manuscripts in Matthew 17, 21, but this kind does not go out, this demon does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now that was added into the text by the early church and it remained into the received manuscripts and then got translated in the King James and New King James translation. Mark 9.29. Uh, you'll find the other translations haven't even got this verse, but here the King James go, so he said to them, this kind can, can, can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Is again this link of prayer and fasting because it's how the early church thought. Uh, if we come to Acts 10.30, and you look at the received text compared to the Alexandrian. So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting. The Alexandrian text says, I was praying. But the early church just thought the way that you always fast when you pray. So they just inserted fasting into the text, and it remained in those translations. Uh, is 1 Corinthians 7, 5, speaking of husbands and wives. And it says they do not deprive one another, talking about sexuality. Uh, it says, except for the consent for a time, that you may give yourselves, and then in the received text, says, for a time of fasting and prayer. Okay, and in the uh, Alexandrian text or the oldest text, it hasn't got that. It just says for a season, for a time, and it doesn't even tell you what that season is for. Now, the reason I say that is because the early church saw fasting and prayer like two paired ice skaters in the Olympics that are on right now. And so what happens is they just saw if you are going to pray and seek God, well, by default, you fast. Now, the modern church don't think that way, but the early church sure did. It's because they understood that when they sought God in prayer, that at the core of their lives was self-denial before God. And as they waited upon God, they aligned their lives physically to where they were positioning themselves spiritually. Everyone, it's important we get this. Um, now, because this leads us to uh, Christian fasting. 
what do we then try to achieve with Christian fasting? Now, we are the opposite as Christians to religion, to all those things I mentioned at the beginning, is that focus is all upon who? Upon me. Now, in Christian fasting, instead the focus moves from the, uh, uh, on the outward. The outward is to align to what is inward. And the focus is to be upon God. That is the focus. So with this here, is uh, we are physically aligned uh, ourselves in self-denial as we seek God's face. What moves God? Does fasting move God? Prayer moves God. You've got to understand that. Do you think, you know, I'm just going to come and fast and I'm going to do 21 days and by hook or by crook, God's going to turn up and just change the world. No, it's prayer. Prayer changes the world. That's what changes it. Is My fasting is I'm aligning myself physically to where I've committed myself spiritually to be. And so what happens, I'll do that to align my outward man to my soul. Now, motives with fasting are far more important than duration. Now, when I was an early Christian, I hear these people say, oh, I fasted, you know, a week. And I go, dear God, I'm struggling to get through one day. (laughs) I'm not very spiritual at all. Okay? Uh, Just me that felt like that. I don't know. There might be some of you out there. And, um, And timing and intensity of fast has nothing to do with this. It's to do with where in my conscience I'm going to align my outer man to my connection to my inner man where I'm committed to to God. Okay? Now, with this here, it deals with bringing the body in submission to the Spirit. You might remember the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, this is an interesting one because... The old man, the old nature, doesn't have much self-control at all, does he? And, uh, and none of us are spiritual elite. The truth is none of us have very good self-control. Uh, and so what happens is it's going to actually discipline you in self-control. And it's going to discipline you to the Word of God. Now, some people go, oh, I haven't got a very strong self-will. No, either am I. <laughs> My self-will's dismal. <laughs> and join the club. Uh, we're all the same. There's no spiritual elite. You all sit on the same foundation. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, uh, and our nourishment is to be transferred from the temporal to the eternal, who's the all-sufficient God. And when I'm connected to God is God will hear our prayers. And God answers prayers. Now, you might notice it's prayer and fasting, okay? It's prayer that changes things. Now, Isaiah 58, if Jesus has this passage in mind, which I believe he does, is what happens is that then Isaiah 58 talks positively about fasting in What should be the right fast? Let me read it to you, Isaiah 58, 6 and 7. Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is this not to share your bread with the hungry, 
Bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide himself from your own flesh. Now, Isaiah tells us that's what God says is the positive aspect with prayer. And Jesus has got this in mind as he's going to talk to you about the positive aspect. At least I believe he did. Now, fasting has two cutting edges. If Isaiah is correct, and I, I believe that it was at the back of Jesus' thinking. The first area is when you fast, you focus upon God. And so with this here, Isaiah is beautifully balanced. It has two edges, and there are four points under each. And so we can look at it this way, is what we are trying to do when we fast and we seek God. So the first is that our focus is upon God to deny self and to seek God's presence. Now, when you seek God's presence, God has a heart for humanity. And I know God's desire for humanity because God reveals it right here. This is his desire, to loose the bonds of wickedness. Humanity, most of humanity, are yoked under slavery. Now, the thinking here in Isaiah is it's obviously is an echo of where Israel were under Egypt, under Pharaoh. They were slaves. They were in bondage. Uh, in Egypt, and what happens is they had to come and they were loosened, loosened from those bonds of wickedness. And uh, you might remember in the history of Israel, that took a great deal of effort to get them loosened out of Egypt. There was 10 plagues, there was big issues that were happening at that time. And so God's heart is that people's lives will be loosened from the bonds of wickedness. Then secondly, to undo the straps of the yoke. The word yoke for a Jewish person always meant slavery. And that those yokes will then be, be undone. Now, those things have held them to bondage. Now, there are a lot of issues in humanity that people are yoked to bondage. Is substance abuse, sexual addictions, uh, issues that people have struggled with, eating disorders. They are yoked they're yoked to bondage, even when they come to faith. You might remember Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus and said, oh, uh, you know, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth, um, bound head and foot, and he gets out of that tomb. He had to come out this way because he was bound head and foot, and he gets out of the tomb. And Jesus said, unbind him. People can come to faith and still be bound. Now, what happens is fasting and prayer is to undo those yokes that have bound people to their past. It has yoked them into bondage. And, and those yokes in human ability will never be broken. You cannot break it by human ability. I can sit there and I can try and reason people. You know, all you've got to do is do a, a survey of, of re, rehab centers. And you look at the success rate, and, and no criticism for the government, the government's success rate with rehabs runs at about 5%. And, and they use all the cerebral thinking and all the things, all the wonderful things, you know, that, that all the best reasoning of man, yet the success rate, and, and thank God for the ones that do get success, but is so low. Why? It's because people are spiritually yoked, and God wants them released, and that release will not happen with your best physical human attempts. It comes spiritually. And we undo the yoke. We undo the straps. But that's not good enough. For God's 
position here. God's desire is to let the oppressed go free. They've got to come out of Egypt. They've got to be set free from under the bondage of Pharaoh who's manipulated and denominated their lives and manipulated them in their slavery. Now, it is not going to happen with human attempts. It is God alone who can lead them out. Now, the fourth area is we break every yoke. You lead them to a Red Sea and you lead Israel right through it and out the other side and you burn every bridge to Egypt you've got so that they can never, ever go back to Egypt. It was one thing getting Israel out of Egypt. It was another thing getting Egypt out of Israel. Now, there's a problem. Many people come to faith, and it's one thing of seeing them come out of the world to faith, but it's another thing getting the world out of them. And it doesn't happen with human means. It happens alone by the power of God. And when people will come in self-denial and position themselves with God and see these things outworked, because that is the passion of God. God wants free people. Can you imagine how God grieves over humanity? Because most of humanity sit in that very bondage. And God wants them free. And if we're going to fast, then I would suggest to you, you align yourselves with the passions of God. And you deny self. And this leads us to the other aspect of fasting. Is your focus is others. You know, years ago, uh, William Booth they say, went in to do a telegram. This is in the, the, the 20th century there. Uh, or, yeah, 20th century. And he, uh, or, or, or the, yeah, the end of the 19th century, 20th century. And, and he had to email a conference. And they said, please, um, uh, will you please, um, uh, William Booth, send a greeting to the conference and give a word of encouragement. And he was a Salvation Army officer. <laughs> they got no money. So he goes to the, to those days you used to go to the post office to do your telegram, and he goes, how much to send a paragraph? And they quoted him the price, and he went, dear God, I can't afford that. And they said, how much for a line? And they quoted him a figure, and he went, I haven't got the money for that. He said, how much for one word? And, they, and he says, I've just got the right amount of money for one word to send to a conference. Now, if you're going to pick one word to send to a conference, what are you going to send? Now, most Christians would usually pick Jesus or love. William Booth wrote on that one telegram, he wrote one word, others, and he sent it to the Salvation Army Conference. Is because it is the heart of God. If you're going to fast and pray, the other side of this leg or this two scissors, they're going to make a difference when we fast and pray is others to see outward social change, to share your bread with the hungry. Because when you fast, you are actually showing solidarity to those who do not have. And you're showing solidarity to that, is to bring the homeless into your home. You are showing solidarity to those who have not, and you are aligning yourself to them, to seeing the naked, to cover them, and then to not hiding yourself from your own family. You know, is those who are believers should be our top priority. And, and as the Scripture says, he who does not look after his own home uh, or, or for the welfare of his own home has denied the faith and is worse than a sinner, Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 5.8. So fasting is this physical alignment of my life towards the spiritual orientation within, and these two cutting edges is where my priority should be. 
And so when I seek, it's prayer that makes a difference. So let me just summarize that. In God, in self-denial, we stand before the all-sufficient one and we worship and we fast, just like Acts 13. Uh, one and three. And then we have others in mind where we stand in solidarity to the needs of others and we pray and fast. And we have got to pray these things into being. And when I align myself physically in this fasting, it gives a dynamic that it opens my very relationship with God where I hear God clearly and I can present in right language back to God what is needed. Now, with this here, Jesus himself, who spoke these very words, was actually probably the very epitome or the, or the summation of everything that's said here. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 and 7. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Now, theologians have, have wrestled with that. Uh, the word canoe or kenosis, the noun, uh, in the Greek language means to empty. And they've said, oh, well, he emptied himself of deity or the manifestations of deity. The heretics have loved that. And, um, and, but what did Jesus really empty himself? He emptied himself of self. He was the ultimate fast. He was the ultimate sum. He was the one who was complete self-denial. And Jesus totally denied self so much that he came to save you and I. And he comes and he lives this whole life self-denial. And there's only one recorded fast of Jesus' life. It's the beginning of his ministry. And in Matthew 4, 1 and 2, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, dear God, I've never gone near that. Uh, 40 days, 40 nights, um, just water. Oh, my, my, my. Um, uh, and, uh, and yet Jesus was human. He was human. Now, just another very important point is fasting doesn't open you just up to God, but can open you up to the enemy too. And you need to understand that. Jesus is assaulted and attacked during this time by the enemy. But he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. But it's amazing. We have Jesus' exact first recorded words as he comes back from that fast. Listen to them. And he stood in a synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and he speaks these words, Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the, at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Can you see he's literally echoed the words of Isaiah 58. In fact, Isaiah 61 that he's quoted there is a re-echoing of Isaiah 58. In other words, I know what Jesus was meditating and praying upon in those 40 days in the wilderness. That's what we should be. As we follow his steps, we should be aligning ourselves in that area as well. Now, with this here, is, um, if I just come here, I want to read the whole of Matthew 6, 6. 16 to 18 from the message. <laughs> oh, it's just worth it. When you practice some, some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo, comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. 
God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you are doing. He'll reward you well because God wants to answer your prayer. And when you fast and pray, you align yourself to this position. So there in uh, verse 18, that your fasting may be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret, what he sees of the inner man, when you are aligned, he will reward you. Kryptos, hidden, is your fasting is between you and God. So I'm not going to tell you how to fast. I'm not going to do that. Is That's between you and God. But your reward, apodinomai, you're going to get the payback. Is there breakthrough and results? Oh, yes, if we align ourselves. But no amount of fasting as a worker is going to win that for you, for God. God wants to answer your prayer. So then, Isaiah 58.8 ends this way. Listen to this. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. What does fasting and prayer do? Well, friends, I love what it does. Because the results is your light will break forth like the dawn. It will sharpen your witness of God before all other men. You are the light of the world, and Jesus will make sure there's no mist obscuring that light. It'll sharpen our witness as saints. Is, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your health and wholeness, the Hebrew language infers there. In other words, there'll be release where people will be delivered from bondages. Uh, your righteousness shall go before you. The restoration, the very restoration of people. Verse 12 amplifies that of Isaiah 58. And it says, And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. It brings a breakthrough of restoration in people's lives. And the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. God is your protection. There'll be no Amalek that comes down and attack us from the rear in, in Exodus 17. Is what happens? God is our spiritual warrior and valiant warrior. He's the one who fights our battles. And this brings us into spiritual warfare. And God will actually break and crush down those enemies of opposition. And so Isaiah 58, 9 ends, Then you shall call and the Lord will... He hears your prayer, friends. That's what he hears. And he will say, Here I am, if you take away the yoke from amongst your midst. In other words, you get your priorities right. And so fasting and prayer can open the doors of all the above, not because of works or earning enough points to, to earn, garner God's attention, but because God wants to hear yours or my prayer, and we align ourselves physically to where we're devoted spiritually, is God turns up and there is a reward. Okay? And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. So the next 21 days, starting tomorrow, uh, and I will say how I do it. Don't do it like I do it. Is This is between me and God, and the only reason I say this, and I'm not making it secret, is just so you know, in position, a little understanding, okay, uh, Sue does it totally different than me, but my way I do this, I just go three days total, 15 days partial, three days total, and that's my 21 days. And by the time I get those last three days, man, I'm looking forward to the end. But my real motive is to pray. 
and uh, and then Eastgate Prayer Storm on that night of Feb- Tuesday, February 25th. We're going from 6.30 to 9.30 and we're worshipping and we're praying with God, with fasting. And then all our other prayer meetings. So with that, uh, you, I just put it out there. There is a blessing that comes in unity. Psalm 133. How blessed are the brothers who dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil coming down upon the head of Aaron, down upon the shoulders, down upon the robe. The anointing flows down. And when there is unity and solidarity or, 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 you know, in the team is what happens. There is a blessing that flows. And that blessing is just to get these two cutting edges. Is just firstly is that we seek God. And that's the main purpose. And you don't even have to fast to do that. But I tell you, if you do, you'll find a dynamic that'll kick in that makes that seeking God so much more vivid and alive. And we worship and we fast and we seek for others where we stand in solidarity to the needs of others. And we seek to see this shire touched with the power of God. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We honor you. Lord Jesus, I just pray as we all stand where we do at this moment. Father, that you touch our lives, and I pray for those that are new to this whole journey. I pray, Lord God, that, Father, you give them wisdom, and Lord Jesus, is just to be wise, but to step in faith. And Father, I pray for us as a church. Lord Jesus, we pray for our shire. Touch the shire. Deliver people. Bring them out of bondage. Unloose the yoke. Undo that yoke. Break the yokes over people's lives. Father, we pray that those needs would be met in lives of people. And Jesus, we give you all the glory and all the honor. And I pray for your blessing on every person here. For the glory of your name. Amen.